It is Monday, August 9th, and you are listening to episode two of the DMZ podcast with me, Ted Rall. I'm coming to you from the left. And I'm Scott Stantis coming to you from the right. And so, Scott, today we have uh, another busy day, a lot of news to talk about. And uh, at the top of the news is the eviction moratorium that was imposed by the CDC about a year ago as a result of the pandemic in an effort to keep uh, people in their homes uh, after they lost their jobs. They shouldn't be thrown out on the street and uh, make the pandemic even worse, uh, exposing themselves and others to the coronavirus. Uh, That eviction moratorium uh, is set to expire. And uh, now um, there's Congress uh, is trying to figure out what to do next. And uh, as usual, we agree not. <laughs> we do this. not agree at all. In fact, the White House, the, the president of the United States, President Joe Biden, um, has extended the eviction moratorium against all advice and against all common notions of constitutionality. In fact, the president himself, before he issued the edict, said, you know, we're pretty sure this isn't constitutional. <laughs> Well, but you know, we're going to do it anyway. Uh, I Joe mean, never uh, knows how to get a, a good tall cup of shut the fuck up. That's <laughs> not really his thing. It's not his thing, but he was right. I mean, uh, uh, experts on the left and the right say that this is this is ex, ex, is extremely unconstitutional for the president of the United States to put forward this to to put forward the edict. The Supreme Court even probably said is. it probably is unconstitutional. I think. I mean, it's a you know, there's a there's a strong argument to be made that it's an unlawful seizure of property um, under the Bill of Rights. And uh, therefore, I forget which amendment that is. You must know that. No. Or maybe not. No, I, I you know, off the top of my head, I only know like two or three of them. Oh, and sure. One of them is you can't, you know, have British troops in your house. Yeah, well, you know, I, yeah, that, that might be an overrated amendment. You know, it's like I can always use tea and crumpets. But the thing is, uh, there's no. Um, yeah. So the thing is, for sure, this may be. I mean, this it, it seems to me, though, that in a time of grave national emergency, which I think everybody would agree that we are currently in due to the uh, COVID-19 um, pandemic, uh, we have a, which is an economic, social and political and national security crisis of major proportions um, that you have to sometimes do things that are not quite constitutional. Uh, For example, perhaps suspend habeas corpus as Lincoln did during the Civil War, Uh, although I disagree with that uh, decision. Or inter Japanese Americans. Which I uh, strongly disagree (laughs) with that decision. Uh, But, but, you know, you are talking about something here that, you know, there is, we are doing harm to landlords by, by forcing them to keep people in their homes who are not paying their rent. But it seems to me like Congress has kind of solved that problem if they did a better job because they've allocated uh, over $50 billion in relief funding for people to pay their back rent to their landlords. And as usual, Scott, I know you'll be surprised <laughs> to hear that Congress fucked up and they only issued, um, and basically they, they kicked the ball to the states and they said, okay, well, we're, we're allocating the money but you guys set up the state programs to provide relief to the to the tenants and the landlords. And the states were like, well, we're busy with the pandemic. We're understaffed. We don't know what to do. So a lot of states didn't do it. And now the money's sitting around mostly like 90 plus percent of it unused while people are facing eviction. I mean, you have to admit that's pretty stupid. 
Well, it's a stupid system. And the whole thing, I mean, I mean the, uh, the bigger issue of the, of the uh, pandemic has really exposed the American system. And this is where you and I agree, how screwed up it is. We disagree, agree, uh, we think of it screwed up in different ways, but it's screwed up. I mean, the whole, I, I mean, first of all, it exposed the country to be dumber than I ever expected America to be. It exposed it to be meaner than I ever expected it to be, but it also you exposed- the refusal, You mean the refusal to get vaccines? Well- that's a big part of it. Yeah, of course. And just the the the, the anger of, of wearing a mask. Good Lord, man. Just wear a damn mask. It helped other people. But on issues like this, where government should be in a position to step up and do reasonable uh, good, it's, it's actually doing irrevocable harm. Uh, and so the, well, it's the eviction... Right. No, it, it's not, how, is it, how is it irrevocable? I mean, like if... Let's say let's say a landlord is owed ten months of back rent, and then uh, he or she receives a check from the state of Alabama, let's say, and says, uh, "Okay, so here's uh, you know the, the government has made you whole. How is that landlord being you know being because that landlord is not going to be made whole? And more important to my mind, Ted, is the fact that. Uh, this rule, which is it's, this isn't even coming from the executive branch. It's coming from the CDC, the eviction, eviction moratorium, as if this is some kind of health issue. And it seems so far out of their purview. It seems so far out of their purview. And couple that with the fact that you're now extending to an unelected, faceless bureaucracy the right to regulate that level of business and to regulate that level of the economy. I'm sorry. That is terrifying well, to well, someone like me. A bureaucracy. But bureaucracy, I mean, you know, I mean, of course, uh, you know, landlord tenant relations are governed are governed by a faceless bureaucracy all the time. I mean, they enforce zoning rules. They set uh, rent regulations. Um, they just, you know, they, you can't just, you, you know, it's, it is it's already a highly regulated marketplace. But nothing as profound as, you know what, that rent, you don't have to pay it. You, you, you just don't right now. No, I have sympathy here. I think the landlords need to be made whole. I think, you know, they, the, the Congress set wow. up. They set up an impenetrable um, bureaucracy. And look, here's the way I look at it. It's like people before profits and landlords are people too. I have more sympathy to tenants than I do landlords because they're poorer generally, but still I have sympathy to both. Here's a situation where the federal government told the American people to stay home, to basically shut down their businesses and become to volunteer to become unemployed. Well, it's incumbent on the on the government to to make that right by people. So, you know, you don't say like, well, you have to quit your job. And now because you've quit your job, you can't pay your rent anymore. It sucks to be you. Uh, that's not cool. And then also you can't tell the landlords, well, you know, hey, it's your job to subsidize, you know, everything, you know, these tenants who are who are sitting at home. So, I mean, the, the checks should be cut directly to the landlords to make the tenants whole. Um, to make the landlords whole and then bring the tenants up to speed. And look, when the national emergency is over, when the unemployment rate is back to its pre-pandemic levels, they can resume the happy business of putting men, women, and children out on the streets <laughs> in the glorious display of what we low, low and love as American capitalism. Well, I would counter that by saying the economy is already roaring back. We have a GDP growth of over 6%. We have more jobs and we have people to fill them. GDP um, growth with, from a 6% growth from a very low baseline, though. So, I mean, it's it, we're not back to where we were pre-pandemic. Well, I mean, certainly, 
the economic, but, but the employment opportunities are there. I mean, how, I mean, you, I mean, this has to be true where you live. I know it's true where I live. No, it's really not true where I live. New York does not have job openings. I mean, there's very, very, I hear from all over the country um, that there's, you know, people like in California, there's job shortage, there's labor shortages. That's not true here. There's, there's a few openings like crappy jobs, but it's not, New York is not coming back really. Why is that? Um, I think it's because real estate is the main is is such a driving engine of the economy here, um, and so there's so much empty commercial space in all those you know that the famous New York skyline, which is all full of what office towers that are probably about sixty percent vacant these days, and no one has any sign that they they're never going to come back completely. But I don't even think they're coming back substantially yet. Was that these days? Because uh, working at the Chicago Tribune, living in Chicago, our apartment overlooked, uh, we live downtown and we overlooked that. And like you just mentioned, the, many of the buildings in Chicago are, say it with me, kids, office buildings. And we could look out our window and see you know, office buildings. I don't think that there is one that we could say, and I, I recognize this is just, you know, allegorical. So it's just like what I saw, but I think there is, there's also numbers to back it up that I, I see most of the buildings around us were and this was before the pandemic, two thirds full mm-hmm. or a third empty, depending on if you're a pessimist or an optimist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, the question is how many bullets were flying through the windows uh, of those buildings? Oh, my God. Ted, 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 this weekend, this weekend, 40 shootings, two mass shootings. Um, and I mean, and it's gotten in Chicago, to be so alone. In in Chicago, Chicago alone. And there's 40. gun violence is out of control all over the entire country. What do you I mean, think I know this was not something we were going to talk about, really, but I am curious, like, you know, we should talk about, we should speculate about the root causes. of. Well, and it's not just Chicago, by the way. The violent crime has ticked up dramatically, especially since the pandemic, especially since the pandemic started and things started to open up a little bit. I mean, I'm just wondering where people are saying, man, if when I, when I can get out of this house, I'm going to shoot that guy. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. This so, is you know what I, I mean, I don't know how if it's like that in Chicago, but in New York, something that no one talks about is most street crime is committed by teenagers. It's, you know, it's middle school and high school aged kids. Um, you know, they age out of crime by the time they're 19 or 20. So I think the school lockdown in this city had a tremendous effect. Um, you know, basically the, you know, the, the state babysitter is closed. So Kids are running wild through the streets and, uh, you know, they're bored. And some of them are just, you know, getting involved in, uh, you know, in gangs and uh, more involved than they were previously. They just have too much time on their hands, but I don't know where they're getting all the guns. I mean, that's New York City has gun control. It's hard to get a gun. (laughs) Well, gun control is one thing in Chicago. And this is one of those issues that Ted and I love to dive into so you know you may want to go get yourself a snack because it's the tall (laughs) this is definitely the tall weeds but in chicago they have uh, you know uh, the judges are politically appointed now as soon as i said that you you know where i'm going with this so a lot of them are you know went to schools where you know they drew the pirate on the back of a matchbook cover right (laughs) and that's where they got their degrees um they're not several colleagues like that but we won't talk about that we will not talk about that um well, maybe we can later. Um, but so you have judges who aren't really that qualified, but they're political appointments and they get an African-American person, a kid in front of them. And they say, A, we don't want to fill up. The jails are already full. And B, you know, our, our people have suffered enough. 
unfortunately, what that does is it also means that they release them. And I have a horrible story I'll make very quick. Uh, a, young, a young kid was uh, very young, nine years old, com- coming home. He was um, uh, wooed into a, an alley and then uh, shot execution style. Mm. They, uh, he turns out he was the, Do we know the motive? The, he was the son of a rival gang member. Mm. So, so yeah. they found the guy who actually pulled the trigger. And this guy had been in front of a judge. Ted, I'm not kidding, five times on gun charges, had not spent a single day in jail for any of those charges, was how, released how, on his own. How old was the, was the alleged um, shooter? I believe he was 21, 20, 21, somewhere in that 22 in that, no, that neighborhood. Is, that, is, that is terrifying. It's it terrifying. Is. And my, So for Chicago, you ask, how does this happen? There's a second part to the story. This goes back pre-pandemic in Chicago. Oh yeah. Oh, this is this goes back years, and that's why York, for years gun violence was really on the wane here in New York before the pandemic. Is that right? Yeah. No. No. I mean, it was like it. It, it is like just it's the pandemic that triggered no pun intended. Uh, it triggered things, and we got things got really crazy. The second part about the Chicago shootings is it's right next. Yes, they have really strict gun laws in Chicago. In fact, they had an outright gun ban, which was ruled unconstitutional many years ago by the Supreme Court. But they have a lot of very, very strident anti-gun laws. Like I just mentioned, they don't enforce them. And number two, where are they getting the guns? We're right. Chicago is right next door to Indiana. Right. Yeah. Very red state. And they love guns there. So it just floods in from there. Gun control, I've always said, could never really work um, without a national ban. And you'd have to have confiscation, too, because there's so many guns out there. It would take a long time. Just I mean, I guess you could just wait. Eventually, they, they you know, they're they're not going to be well maintained. Guns rust. They have to be you know maintained after 50 years. It wouldn't be nearly as much of an issue. Of course, by then we will all have died of In mass shootings that when we go, to, <laughs> go watch a movie. There was. Um, yeah. You know, and a statistic that just came out recently, and I was shocked by this. It was some somewhere in the neighborhood. Sixty-five percent of guns are owned by fifteen percent of the people. Yeah, you know that doesn't surprise me. I mean, just think about who you know who owns guns, right? Probably you don't know. I know. I mean, we both know people who. I mean, you live in Alabama. Um, but we know. We both know people who own guns. And you get a very, box of Pampers and a gun when you get when you bring the baby home. Very few people I know uh, who own a, own like. I don't know many a lot of people who own a pistol, you know, at first at home. That's it. I mean, you know, people they own several. You know, they they own five, six, seven. You know, you either really like guns or you really just don't give a shit. I have two boys, so I did not. I never had a gun in the house. I'm a Second Amendment. I think the Second Amendment is very clear, and uh, I know uh, people will scoff, uh, but I think the Second Amendment is fairly clear that it want it, it it the people who wrote it. The Constitution recognized that the danger to you was the government and that you should be as well armed as the government and as crazy. And, you know, they were also worried about they were they were very worried about the Brits coming back too. well, they had a right to because (laughs) 1812, who are those guys? Right, right. So I think that was a big part of the motivation. I mean, I think, look, I think I agree with you on this. I think the the Second Amendment is clear. Clearly, uh, the the Constitution permits Americans to to own firearms. Um, the question, I mean, I think if we drafted the constitution today, I think it's a big question as to whether or not we would have the second amendment in there with the society as it's currently constituted in 2021 in firearms, in firearms as they are. We don't have foreign threats. We don't really have, you know, any, um, there's no, um, 
there's not we don't hunt really. Um, we don't have, live in an agrarian society anymore. I, I think probably it wouldn't be in there, but okay. Oh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, t- I think you're absolutely right. Again, we, you know, they didn't have the, the gun technology. It was nowhere close to, you know, it was a muzzle loader for crying out loud. It took literally over a minute to, to load a second round. And so I just did a hand gesture that looked I know, like people could see them right. Like across the battlefield, they could see the, the balls coming across them. Yeah. The they, they made enough. They were slow enough where they made the sound where you could hear it coming. How weird is that? It's just yeah. like, <laughs> besides well, going having been, at, having been shot in the i'd say at would be a fair thing to say in afghanistan uh it, it, you do hear the the bullets go by um you they, they make a funny whirring sound um it's like and not, yeah, not a happy it. sound uh you know it's not an it's not a sinister sound except contextually but the sound itself is not Sinister. It's not like, you know, those bombs in World War II that they attached the whistles to in order to panic the population. I know. Uh, could you imagine? Who thought? I mean, could you imagine? There was a meeting. There was a there was a meeting about this. They're going, you know, Hans, yeah, yeah Hans. <laughs> what, what, what makes this worse than, you know, killing innocent civilians? Should we add a whistle? Yeah. A whistle? Yeah, a whistle. out of them. <laughs> I'm like thinking, won't the bomb scare the shit out of them enough? Yes. Won't the, you know, boom (laughs) be enough? No, in the German mind, that wasn't terrifying enough. Um, I think we need to explain to our our, our listeners that you and I are both uh, Francophiles, uh, both uh, French, ethnic French here. And uh, so, yeah, our, our view of World War II may be a little skewed towards, you know, the French and the Allies. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's just say that our views of being anti-German when it comes to World War II is probably not the most controversial. <laughs> no, it's probably the only not controversial thing we will say or write in our careers. Yeah, we yeah. didn't. We are squarely against the Nazis. <laughs> Which yeah, we're, today, we're, and we're, you know, given oh well, that's like, true. The way things are going, I'm going to say, uh, given that, January sixth, we you know, might kind of, ruin this, this podcast. You know, someday. let me ask you: There's a reporter, or was it in a book that said that um, about Trump, former President Trump, when he was in office, saying something to the effect of uh, Hitler did some good things. It was uncorroborated. It was this one source. I mean. Mm. Uh, you know, Trump was bad enough, right? I mean, I, I listen. I'm a never Trump Republican. I've ne- made no bones about that. That's very but, true. But when it comes down to stories like that, I mean, how do you react to that? Because you and I both have a very jaundiced eye on things like this. I think. Um, well, you mean about the about the sourcing? Yeah, or? when it's just one person saying, "You know what I heard?" So and so say. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, what I look at, you know. I compare, like, you know, like, consider, like, your fame, your notoriety and or public, you know, public exposure to the media or, like, mine compared to someone like, say, Donald Trump's. I mean, they've gotten, with my own, you know, whenever the media has covered me, they can never get the name of my syndicate right, ever. No, uh, no. They, they don't believe that Universal Press Syndicate exists. It's like, you <laughs> must be with United. It's like, no, I used to work for United, and United and Universal are not the same. Um, you must they, be with Acme. They misspell my name, uh, you know, all the oh, time. Oh, I'm sorry. That really? Yeah, it's, it's I mean, seven I know letters. It's I know. No, I mean, they, they just misspell the, the last four. 
it's almost like it's not interesting enough to them. They want to like make it, you know, jazz it up with a W or something. And then jazz hands, jazz hands. So the point is like, and of course, and you know, and of course, then basically the problem is that any asshole can put something on the, uh, you know, on a, on the on a news site for a major newspaper and not have it fact checked at all. So this is, um, you know, that didn't used to be the case, but it is now. So for me. I've heard so many outlandish stories, especially about Trump. Like, look, I'm sorry, there is no P tape. Uh, you know, he he didn't go to Russia and ask to look at prostitutes, uh, you know, pee on each other. That they, didn't happen. That's why ridiculous. not? Well, why? I mean, why? Just there's no <laughs> evidence, and it doesn't make sense. And it's also, you know, I mean, Donald Trump, he's a lot of things. He's just he's he's not that interesting. You know, I just don't <laughs> sexually. I think he just likes to bone. You know. Um, he likes to bone like, you know, large breasted blonde women. That's his thing. Um, you know, it's he's very he's like a, he's basically a, an eight year old boy in yeah. like, you know, in a, in the body of a in a very unattractive body. It's funny that he was like once wasn't he like people's like most eligible bachelor once. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he was. Yeah. No, he was. I mean, if you look at him when he was younger, he was nice looking guy and true. Uh, you know, projected power, which we now know was all bullshit, but, um, and, True. and you know, but anyway, so I, so, so getting back to this, um, yeah. uh, look, first of all, it's not, it's not the most ridiculous or insane thing to say that, for example, the Autobahn is a impressive, uh, engineering achievement, right. Or, uh, or that the plans to invade France were very well executed considering, the logistics and, and technology of the time, or, you know, or that, you know, hell, uh, you know, Hitler invented uh, his, his economics minister invented the treasury bond. And without that, we just wouldn't have giant piles of debt. So <laughs> the thing is that, uh, so even if that statement is true, um, it would not be as contra, it shouldn't really be that big a deal, but it's, you know, it's, it's probably, let me put it this way. It may or may not be true. I reserve judgment. If it is true, it doesn't really mean much. To well, it just, it's one of those things that, and like I said, not a Trumpy here, but it just one of those things that we all are looking for um, something that confirms our own narrative. And so the, right. the obvious narrative of Trump is that he wasn't just, he was a Nazi. And, so, and he's just not that clever or that ambitious or that hardworking. Yeah, he never was. Remember, remember, all the, the, remember those news stories about how he supposedly kept a book of Hitler speeches by his bed. Yeah, that's one. That's yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like you know, like no, he's. I mean, it's kind of an insult to Hitler to compare Trump to Hitler. I mean, Hitler was a oh, very clever man. <laughs> he was completely self-made. He was selling pencils on the streets of Vienna as a homeless guy. And then, you know, rose within just 10 years to run, you know, all of Europe and parts of North Africa. And, uh, you know, he was he was he designed all the uniforms and flags himself. Uh, He was a very clever, smart dude. Uh, Donald Trump inherited a shit ton of money from his father uh, and built it into a real estate empire that was mainly predicated on not paying his construction contractors and underpaying uh, illegal immigrant workers on his construction sites and evicting little old ladies, um, you know, from their rent-controlled apartments. Sorry, ain't the same thing. 
<laughs> no, no, not quite. Um, hey, before we r- wrap things up here, we, uh, just um, a recent story came out, a recent poll came out that showed that uh, uh, had to have the different uh, heads of the federal government. And Kamala Harris was way at the bottom. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, of all people, was at the top. In terms uh, of food. Our, our, our minister of transportation, in case you may have forgotten. Yes. You know, you've noticed our gleaming transportation infrastructure around <laughs> the country ever since he took over. He's running around the country trying to sell this package, trying to sell this legislation. My, The shock to me, the jaw drop for me was that Kamala Harris had fallen so precipitously. I blame Ted Rawl cartoons, frankly. Yeah, that is true that I, I do. I can't stand her. Um, and it is personal for me. And I want to say, too, that um, for the listeners, uh, if you haven't followed Ted Rawl, you have disliked her long before she ever uh, ran for president, long before she was ever named to the ticket. And obviously, long before she was elected vice president. There's at least one. What's your problem, man? Well, there's at least one guy on death row at San Quentin Prison in California because of her, a man who is not only not guilty, but who is actually innocent of murder. He didn't do it. And she knows it. And she's said as much and she doesn't give a shit. And he's still there. And she was in the business of sending lots of men of color uh, who she knew were innocent uh, and refusing to allow them to pay at their own family's expense for DNA testing to exonerate them. She's a bad person. And, um, you know, I think there's nothing, you know, she was a hard charging prosecutor. She made mistakes. That's fine. Uh, Lots of hard charging prosecutors make mistakes, recognize them, then go to the judge and say, listen, this person shouldn't be in prison. Let them out. Here's the evidence. They work hard on it, just as hard to get people out as they do to get people in. She's not one of those people. Um, So to me, she's like a she's like a she's a phony and she doesn't care about human beings. And frankly, when you're in politics, whether you're a political cartoonist or you're a politician, the job one is caring about people. That's what you're there for. And if you don't do that, you're you don't belong there. And she doesn't belong. She doesn't. She hasn't. Does not. She shouldn't be vice president, much less president. I think. Um, you know. Frankly, uh, there's more evidence that Pete Buttigieg would be a competent leader. Although I think he's too young and he's behind, you know wet behind the ears. But uh, but he was mayor of South Bend, Indiana. I know. Yeah, you know. By the way, it's, I get just parenthetically. He is the department. He is the. He is the. Uh, he is. He is. He is the. He is in running the Department of Transportation for the United States of America. You know, as mayor of South Bend, he wasn't even in charge of the sixty buses that were in South Bend. <laughs> that was a different county agency that did not come under the purview of the mayor. Well, I, I want to jump back, jump back into talking about uh, Kamala, Vice President Harris, real quick, and that is that which is this is weird. This is so weird because I I disagreed with Ted uh, a, a lot on Kamala Harris. I thought that yeah, she ran a bad campaign, but you know that happens all the time. Uh, Joe Biden ran two terrible campaigns for president <laughs> before he actually won it. Um, sort of won it. James Clyburn won it for him, really. James. Clyburn, the yeah, the South Carolina African American Democrat power broker who kind of arranged for Super Tuesday to go his way. Okay, it happened. We can talk about it another. anyway. Sorry, so, I, I derailed. So he picks Kamala Harris. And I think that's actually a pretty good choice. It's not unusual for a vice president lately in the twentieth, in the you know, in the last 
50, 70 years for the president to pick someone who ran against them in the primary. Um, the fact that she also really took him on in, in the early uh, Democratic debate, you're thinking, and that, I think all of us were like going, wow, she's really something. This is, this is, wow, she's someone to watch. And, and then the campaign came unraveled. And a lot of the rumors were that it came unraveled because of her personality. And um, now we, uh, now as vice president, and I, I was very enthusiastic, as Ted will tell you, I thought, well, this is, you know, a, a person of co- a woman of color. This is, you know, it's ticks two boxes. I mean, it's, it's awesome. This is a, this is a good thing. And she's the right person for this. I think she's serious and studious. And it turns out she is not um, her trip to South America, to Guatemala, and then back the interview she, she gave when she came back. Um, someone described her as Hillary without the charm. Yeah, that's, that's mean, but probably accurate. Uh, and, you know, there was a, I think it was, I might be mistaken. I, I think it was um, the, the, it was Politico that had a blockbuster story about a dysfunction in the vice president's office that seemed to echo the reports that came out of her unsuccessful presidential primary campaign, where she was um, apparently extremely unpleasant to the staff. There's massive turnover. Um, she just wasn't able to keep people focused on, on message, much less motivated. And you know, you might say, okay, that's inside. But it is. It's in that. It's inside uh, Beltway baseball, right? But but I mean, the presidency is an ex- is the ultimate executive position, and uh, the 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 tone that you set from the top really makes a difference. And you know, as you know, Scott, I was a major critic of President Obama and George W. Bush, but both of them were known. Uh, for being very well liked by their by their staff and for the, how they had um, they took care of them and, and ran interference for them, um, and that does say something about their personalities and their ability to lead. Well, let's talk about you just mentioned him. I just want to jump in here before we tie things up. Um, the Obama Party <laughs> on Martha's Vineyard. Oh God. You know, <laughs> I was just, and, and, you know, and they, they swore that they were going to cut it back because yes, they, they recognized that what is it 500 people was probably a bad idea when the, when the pandemic is roaring back. How much do you like your friends? Do you want them to live or to die? That's an excellent question. And one we can go over next time <laughs> But with, with this party, they swore, and this is what, and this is the thing that drives me crazy. They said, to the press and to the, by extension, the American people. Yeah. We recognize that 500 people is too many that, you know, we're going to cut it way back. It's just going to be friends friends and family. And it was 500 people. (laughs) They didn't cut back a damn thing. And I just like the hypocrisy of that, the, the, the sheer gall is just again, jaw dropping. Well, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, in Star Trek, if there's a matter antimatter explosion, like two very opposite things get together, like the universe like dies. Um, you know, that's like I think if Jimmy <laughs> Carter and Barack Obama ever got together uh, and discussed their both their uh, their approaches to the post presidency, uh, they couldn't possibly be more different. I mean, Jimmy Carter has uh, dedicated his life to uh, service, public service and trying to alleviate poverty and uh, living in a humble way and, and, and even trying to negotiate Middle East peace, much like Jared Kushner. Um, and, it's, uh, and, yes, and, exactly. and then, then there's President Obama, who uh, he has been giving speeches to big Wall Street firms and signing Netflix deals. I mean, it's, I'm sorry, 
I don't really think a president has to starve the way that Harry Truman was 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 starving after he left office. But I um, mean, this is it, it's tawdry and it's 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 very unseemly. It is, and I, I just and I agree with you. I think you're you know Harry Truman. For those of you who may not know, left office and there was no pension. There was no. Um, Staffing, no, no funds for staffing. So, and he literally lived on his pension from uh, being an officer in World War One, after he left office. Uh, and so, obviously, clearly, the Congress stepped forward and rectified it. But typical for federal government, they it's grown and grown and grown and grown until you get like office staff, security, um, you get a library. Um, and and is it the library? The library is the library funded at all by the taxpayer, or is it? Or is it just supplemented by private donations? Oh no, there's well, they give the seed money, and I think it's it's a substantial amount of money. But the thing is, Barack Obama, to get back to it, has not one but two libraries planned. No fucking way. Oh Why? yes, sir. Where are yes, they? Sir, he's got in Chicago. He's building the Barack Obama Presidential Center, not the library. Okay. But the center. Okay. Of his the center of his post presidency. I it's I guess you're, if you're the center of the universe, you might as well just. And where's, the, where's the library? Do you know? The library. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember if he's going to put it in New York. I thought it was in New York um, or Hawaii. You can look it up. We, if, if only we had a machine in front of us where we could type yes. these things in and look them up, Ted. I will do that <laughs> right now. <laughs> what do we got here? We're giving you information as it comes in, folks. <laughs> We're not afraid to Wikipedia for you, so you don't no, have to. Okay, we'll see this. <laughs> Uh, bum, 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 bum. So, he's, he's singing yes yeah. what do we have because nothing's more interesting than listening to someone cruise the internet so it's confusing it here. is well gee are you shocked like by this yeah so there's a uh, yeah the library is yeah there's the center and then there's the library it sounds like they might both be in different parts of chicago um library no yeah okay so there's i think there's it hasn't really been determined yet apparently university of chicago was interested in the center and then uh yeah that's their building on the south side of chicago apparently a lot of people are not pleased about it and so that may not happen well they're Um, well it's going to happen no ted it's chicago The powers that be want it to happen, so it will happen. He will the the center will happen on the south side of Chicago. It will uh, it actually blocks a major artery of poor people going to work, so they're just going to have to go around it because, well, screw them. (laughs) Right, 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 right. And so Um, the library, I thought had not had been not it's not been determined from what you're saying. Well, yeah, no. So apparently, there's some confusion as to whether the center will include the library. The center. Will be a digital space. Um, maybe Hillary's emails will be there. Um, <laughs> it's not a digital space. They have architectural buildings. It looks like a. It's a, it's a, this kind no, of. No, they have architectural buildings, but you'll go and look at computer screens. So why would you go someplace when you can actually do that from? Oh, I don't know your house. That's a good question. Thank you, yeah. Ted. Yeah, no, I, I I wish I had an answer. I don't. So we don't know where. Okay, so for the, if anyone out there wants to, if you find wants it, to house the, the Obama, you happen to be driving to it right now. Let us know. Yeah, we should probably have a contest. You can win something. 
Yeah, we should probably do. We're going to need to set up a, a Twitter feed and stuff so that people can contact yeah. us. With this and before I let everyone go, I do want to say, and I know Ted joins me in this. Thank you. We um, had a very soft launch. We just did it with our own social media. And we're just, you know, this we're, we're working out the kinks and we're trying to get yeah. um, all the, the process down. And but for those of you, and there are a lot of you, a shocking surprise to me. I maybe Ted's not surprised. I'm surprised. No, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that uh, a number, uh, a good number of people uh, downloaded the podcast. So thank you for that. And thank you for listening to this week's as well. So um, if you want to see more Scott Stantis, go to uh, gocomics.com slash Scott Stantis, one word, or go to Prickly City. Um, you can see my comic strip and you know, links that links to all that. Ted, where do we go if we want to see your stuff? You can just go to rall.com, R-A-L-L.com. And it's pretty much all there. Everything? Well, I mean, not in, in the in the universe, but, you know, it's a good starting place. It's a great starting place. And if you love good work, then you got to check this out. So um, I don't know. We need to work on an ending on these things here, but I'm just going to say bye, Ted. Salut. <laughs> Au revoir. Adieu. <laughs> I hope not. Adieu. All right. Stop recording.